Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken Bear with Faith Dialogue. We're in a sermon series called Unstoppable. It's based on the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. And we've been traveling together for the past few months. And we've gone through the, uh, the day of Pentecost. We've seen the Apostle Peter. Uh, we've gone through uh, the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. The first, the second, and now we are finishing up with the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. You know, just last week, uh, we were introduced to a new character. This is a character that came um, up from Jerusalem named Agabus. And Agabus was just in one of the other mentions that the Apostle Paul had from the Lord that danger lied ahead of him. Um, Agabus, it says, when we had come to us, he took Paul's belt. This is a uh, living sermon. And Agabus took uh, Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Now, when that happens, you need to pay attention. Thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So we're going to be starting today in chapter 21 of the Acts of the Apostles. And we'll begin today in verse 12. And this is immediately after Agabus had taken Paul's belt, and again, he wrapped it around his own body and had this living illustration to Paul that danger was in store. Verse 12 says this, Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answers, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days we packed up and went up to Jerusalem. Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with him a certain Manson, uh, Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So it says that we, we picked up and went up to Jerusalem. Notice they went up. And this is, I mentioned this before. Now, Jerusalem is on a high plateau. So from many aspects, you go up to Jerusalem because you have to go up the mountain. But at the same time, from God's perspective, uh, Jerusalem is the, the, the geographic center of his creation. It, it, this is Jerusalem. This is the holy city. So you go up to Jerusalem, whether you're north, south, east, or west, you're going to go up. Not that Jerusalem is always north. But really, when you take a look at Bible prophecy, if you're speaking of the uh, kings of the north, they're going to be north of Jerusalem. If you're talking about the people of the south, it's going to be south of Jerusalem. Again, Jerusalem is the geographic center um, of, the, of, the, of the earth. So, in these beginning verses, Paul and his companions finally were on their way to Jerusalem. Paul doesn't fear for persecution, imprisonment, or death. He's doing the work of the Lord. And notice some of the disciples from Caesarea went with him and brought with them a certain mason 
of Cyprus. Now, this is a Greek name. Um, the N, if you see it in your Bible, M-N-A-S-O-N, the N is silent, and it's actually a very common Greek name. Um, likely, he's a Hellenist Jew, um, and he apparently has a home in Jerusalem because they're, he's traveling with them to Jerusalem, and they're going to spend some time in his company in Jerusalem. Now, Luke actually uh, talks about many of the companions that were with Paul, and many of them are, are Greek. They're, they're either 100% Greek or they've got some Jewish in them, but, but they are Greek-speaking. That, that included, for example, uh, Aristarchus and Segundus of Thessalonia and Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus and of Asia and Titius and Tromiphius. These, these are all Greek names, and these men were traveling with Paul and they're going to Jerusalem. Now remember, Paul had been collecting money from some of his churches because of the, of the famine that had happened in the land, and the, and the people in Jerusalem, many of the saints, were still without. Uh, because of the persecution and because of a number of different issues, they were taking up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And Paul is traveling with these, this group of people and also with a considerable sum of money. Notice it says this, this man, Mason, had a large house, and it says uh, just casually that he was an early disciple. Now, likely, this goes all the way back to the foundation of the church 25 years earlier at Pentecost. Possibly, Mason actually had met Jesus. We don't know for certain, but certainly uh, Mason was around at the very beginning of the church. Some scholars believe that Dr. Luke in, uh, included Mason in this passage, and it's just a brief mention, because it was possible that Luke was using Mason as an additional source. You know, Luke was, was writing not only the Gospel of Luke, but also the Acts of the Apostles. And Luke wasn't there all the time, so Luke had to use eyewitness accounts to be able to accomplish what he was told to accomplish, which was to write the Gospel uh, that we have today. Now, when this group arrives in Jerusalem, likely it's, the, it's at the house of Mason. Verse 17 says, the brethren received us gladly. Now, when it says brethren, it means that these are believers, that it's, it's a masculine noun, but at the same time, it includes women as, and men. It's, it's all of the believers. And of course, how do they receive Paul and his companions? Gladly. This is the great apostle Paul, and they were so happy to be able to have this fellowship with Paul. Um, I want you to, to understand also that before we get started, that these workers, these, these elders that, that Paul is traveling with, were all typically Greek and Hellenistic Jews. Now, the term Hellenist refers to um, the, the, the period of Helen. Uh, they, the, the, these, these are Greek-speaking people. Now, a Hellenist Jew is a Greek-speaking Jew. And it doesn't, doesn't mean the language. It also means the, the culture of the, of the Greeks. Um, if you remember the early deacons in the church, and this is going back to, to the seventh chapter of the Acts of the Apostle, the deacons of the church were also typically Hellenists. And this was going to be important because there had been a rift between the Jews and the Greeks. In fact, it's actually much more than a rift. It's kind of like an ocean between the two. And this is not unusual. You know, the Greeks referred to themselves as, to, as there's only two kinds of people in the world. There were Greeks and there were barbarians. So this is not unusual for a group to be very xenophobic in the way they take a look at the rest of the world. It's them against the rest of the world. 
And this was going to have an impact on the early church, and we'll see that, of course, today as we continue our reading. So let's continue. Verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. So Paul is now meeting with James and the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, as we've been traveling through the Acts of the Apostles, uh, we see that at first it was Peter and Paul and the, and the apostles. And, the, and when Paul went back to meet with the apostles, all of the apostles were there. They collectively made decisions together. But now this is 25 years later. And remember the apostles uh, initially appointed deacons, and that was in chapter 7, in order to share the load. But the church continues to grow. By this time in Jerusalem, we have James. Now James, this is James the Just. This is the brother of Jesus that it's been referred to. Uh, nearly all scholars agree that it was James that was made the first bishop of Jerusalem. And this is 25 years later, and the church is actually being ruled not by the apostles, but with James kind of at the head, they are being ruled by a plurality of elders. How many elders? Well, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, typically, you need enough elders to be able to minister to the growing church. And this church is large. I mean, you think we have megachurches today. This church in Jerusalem was, was very large, not just thousands, but tens of thousands of, of Jews belong to the church of Jesus Christ. They are believers in Jesus as the Messiah. Um, they easily could have had hundreds of elders, as it takes many elders, and remember the elders includes the pastors and teachers that, that care for the people. So here, 25 years after Pentecost, we don't see any, uh, any apostles other than James, and James is actually not one of the 12, he's the, the brother of the Lord. So, what happened to the apostles? Are they dead? No, they're not dead. They're just gone. Um, for example, the apostle John, we know, went to um, Ephesus and then on to Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Andrew went to Turkey. According to historians, Thomas, uh, the doubting Thomas, went to Syria and then traveled as far east as India. Um, there's actually a, a group of Christians in India to this day that they call themselves Maritoma Christians. And Maritoma is just a, a takeoff from the word Thomas, Maritoma Christians, because they, they understand that Thomas was the founder of their group. Philip went to North Africa. Matthew, the gospel writer, went to Ethiopia. Bartholomew traveled with Thomas east as far east as India, and Matthew traveled, uh, and then traveled with Matthew to Ethiopia. James, the brother of John, was of course killed in Jerusalem. Simon the Zealot went to Persia. See, they took the Great Commission seriously. Uh, Jesus said, go, go and preach the gospel to, to all nations, uh, teaching them to obey all the things that I have, have taught you. They went out preaching all over the place. They're on a mission. And they're doing what the Lord had told them to do. They stayed in Jerusalem for a short time until the Holy Spirit came, but then shortly thereafter, they departed. The Apostle Paul actually will write to Titus and will say, ordain elders in every city. You see, this is becoming the pattern, and it's the pattern that extends to the church today. 
um, we're seeing this in Jerusalem, that the Jerusalem church is now uh, run by a plurality of, of elders. So let's continue. Verse 20, uh, this is the second half of that verse. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law, but they have been informed about you that you teach all of the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. Okay, now this is huge. This is a huge development, and you can see why I split verse 20 and left 20a in the last section and now we're in the second section and when they heard it they glorified the Lord this is a this is a high point this is a high point for Paul he's he's in Jerusalem and they're glorifying the Lord they're all excited that he's there Paul had just told them in detail the things which God had done through his ministry uh, with the Gentiles and remember Paul is telling them what God has done that's not what Paul has done. We talked about Paul's humility last week. This wasn't Paul's day to shine. This was all about God. God had done the work, and God was still doing a work, not only among the Jews, but also among the Gentiles. This was Paul's ministry, but is giving all, all of the credit to God. And the people loved it. These elders, they loved it. They glorified the Lord. But, but, and Paul... Paul was just a faithful servant. They glorified the Lord and that because it was the Lord's doing. Paul, at the same time, a very humble man, had to be on a, on a spiritual high. This is a very high point. He had finally made it to Jerusalem, gave his report, and they're glorifying the Lord. It couldn't be any better for Paul. But then everything changes. A complete reversal in the plot. Now, in literature... In classic literature, this is called a peripatia, a peripatia. In Greek, that word means reversal, the turning point in any drama. Um, a peripatia is a sudden change in the story which results in a negative reversal of circumstances. Uh, peripatia is often called the turning point of a novel, the place where the tragic protagonist's fortune changes from good to bad. This is classic. The example given in literature is this. A very wealthy man has been making money for decades by taking big risks in the stock market. Suddenly the stock market crashes and he's launched into poverty. That's a peripatia. This is Paul's peripatia. Everything changes. Notice it says, you see brothers how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. And then it adds these words. They're all zealous. They're all zealots or zealots for the law. Now, myriads is a word that means tens of thousands. It's, it's a bunch of people, or thousands upon thousands. Sometimes it's translated. The church in Jerusalem is huge, as I said. It is growing. It has hundreds of elders to care for tens of thousands of parishioners, tens of thousands of believers. However, there is an issue, and we're going to see it addressed. The scripture says, and these myriads of people are zealous for the law. They could have easily have just said, but, but, you know, there, there's lots of believers, but they're zealous for the law. They're zealous for the law of, of Moses. That's what the law is referring to. It's the law of Moses. Now today, we would ask a very legitimate question. How can you be a Christian and at the same time be a zealot for the law of Moses? 
Well, this was a legitimate question at the time, but it was very manageable for Paul. Paul had been managing it over the last 20 years. And Paul addresses this issue actually often in his epistles, his letters. For example, in his epistles to the Romans in chapter 4, Paul says this, he says, all food is clean. Here he's referring to the Jewish dietary laws. But it is wrong for a man to let his eating be a stumbling block. It is better for you not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You see, Paul is managing this very delicate balance between the Greek culture and their freedom in Christ, as well, and then also the Jewish brothers that were still zealous, zealous for the law. Paul goes on, he says, keep your belief about such matters between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. A few verses later, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, one person considers one day more sacred than another, this referring not only to the Sabbath, but also Jewish festivals and feast days, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in his own mind. So you see, Paul, in his mind, you can be zealous for the law, you can be very zealous for the law, but you can manage your zeal. However, there was a group, and we've talked about them before, a few times later, or a few times earlier in the Acts of the Apostles, and this group that has constantly been uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh are called the Zealots. I'm sorry, the Judaizers. This is the report that the elders in Jerusalem are getting, and it's from the Judaizers. Uh, these have been troubling Paul. They've troubled him in Galatia and Antioch and in Thessalonia. Uh, they had him stoned in Lystra. And what is the accusation from these Judaizers? This is what it says. It says that you teach all of the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to their customs. Now, is this true? No, of course not. It's a lie. They fabricated it. Have you noticed how much today we actually hear that is a lie? Have you heard of the term fake news? Well, this is just the latest iteration of what we hear, what we hear from people. They fabricate this, and they do this intentionally in order to put one group against another. And we should not be surprised. Satan is the father of all lies. And, and you know, he knows that lies are convenient. They can take down an honest man very quickly as long as we lie about them and lie enough people start to believe it. So, again, Satan is a, is a liar. So he lies about Paul. And you know, one of the greatest ways that Satan uses to destroy the work of God is through lies. Now, Paul was very careful in his ministry. He really was. We've been doing this for the last few months, talking about the ministry of Paul, and we've watched him. He walked the Jewish walk, and he talked the Jewish talk. He was a Jew first. He never told the Jews to abandon Moses. He never told the Jews to not to circumcise their sons. It was the, to the Gentiles that he said there was no need for them to circumcise. In fact, Paul said, don't circumcise your children. These are to the Gentiles, unless you're prepared to observe all of the law. These Judaizers believed in Jesus, but they knew nothing of the grace of God. 
they had been deceived as well. You see, they had also been deceived. They believed and taught that in order to follow Jesus, you had to be a Jew. You had to convert to Judaism, be circumcised, observe the Sabbath, all of the dietary laws. You had to be a Jew in order to become a Christian. So James and these elders have a choice. Do they entertain these accusations by the Judaizers or they do something else? Well, let's read on. Verse 22. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them. Pay their expenses so they know, so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that these things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such things except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now, verse 21 starts with these words, what then? It shows that because of these accusations, they had to make a decision. They had a choice to believe Paul or believe the Judaizers or let the people decide they decided to come up with a, a compromise. Now, you really can't blame them. When you read this information, I, I know it's difficult sometimes when you read it for the first time, and quite frankly, I hate to compromise. People that know me know that I, I just don't like to compromise. I understand there's sometimes a value in doing so, but I, I just don't like it. But these elders, they say this, the assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Now the assembly, the assembly they're talking about is the church. It's the same word. They've heard, and remember they are, there are myriads of them, tens of thousands, they've likely heard that Paul is in town. And they've also heard what these Judaizers have been saying about Paul and his ministry. They know they, the, the Judaizers have been saying that Paul tells the Jews everywhere to reject Moses, to reject the law, and to reject circumcision. Now, their compromise that they come up with is a little unorthodox. It sounds strange in our hearing. Their idea is to associate Paul, this apostle, with four men, four brothers, who have taken a vow. Now, likely this is a Nazarite vow. Paul had taken a Nazarite vow just in the last chapter, remember it. Uh, Paul will join them. Paul will pay their expenses, likely a temple tax. And because of Paul's association with them, this is what the elders are thinking, because of Paul's association with them, all of the people will believe that Paul is an honorable fellow. Verse 24 says, And they, that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, and that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Now, Here's my commentary. From my point of view, this idea is doomed from the start. These Judaizers are just like the crowd that was around when Jesus was crucified. You know, Pilate had given the crowd a choice, if you remember. Do I release Barnabas, the killer, the insurrectionist, the one who carries a sword? Or do I release this man, Jesus, the miracle worker, the one who's actually done nothing wrong? Well, of course... What does the crowd say? Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. You see, it didn't work for Pilate. Pilate was also trying to, 
to split the needle, trying to find a compromise, trying to find a way out. But it didn't work for Pilate, and it's not going to work here for the elders, and it's certainly not going to work for Paul. Dr. Luke reminds us again of the earlier instructions given by these elders to the Gentiles. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now these prohibitions, other than sexual immorality, do nothing really to edify the soul. They are things that have to do with improving the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's a, it's a compromise. Food offered to idols, things strangled, are offensive to the Jews. Paul was interested in finding a way to promote unity, so Paul fully approved this and, and taught this as well. Now, as I mentioned, by this time, Paul had already written the epistle to the Romans. And in this epistle to the Romans, he pleaded, he prayed for unity between the very people that he's accused of causing division. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 6, this is what Paul says. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's where we end today. We'll put in the pin in this scripture for now, but here's a spoiler alert. This is not going to end well. We'll be seeing Paul and the struggle between Paul and the Judaizers over the next three chapters. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to get together and take a look at this, these verses. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.